pop quiz. What do Ludwig van Beethoven, an ex-convict, and a nine-year-old boy named Lewis have in common? Stumped? I'll give you the answer. They all redefined what bad and good really mean. Things didn't go their way. And the result was actually something really beautiful because of the bad. With Ludwig van Beethoven, he lived most of his life in fear of deafness. Big problem for a composer. He was concerned about it because he started to hear a buzzing in his ears and that buzzing continued to get worse. By the time Beethoven was 30, he was completely deaf. And the interesting thing about this situation is not only did his composing get worse, it actually improved. He wrote some of his most famous music after he was deaf. With all the distractions removed, it's like his senses got heightened. His mind was flooded with new tunes and variations on old tunes. Deafness, universally a bad thing, became an asset for Beethoven and has inspired hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of musicians for the last 200 years or so. Next, we've got an ex-convict named Joe. He's in the Bible. Joe told his brothers one day that he would be so great that his brothers would have to bow down to him. His brother's response was they, begot, they got really jealous. They threw him into a pit so he would die. But that's not exactly what happened. That's a bad thing. But instead of Joseph turning his back on God, he actually used those things to grow himself. Later, in the power, when Joseph was in power, he was second in charge only to Pharaoh. And he looked back to see how God worked in his life. Then he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Again, we see this pattern of bad, the pit, and in jail, leading to good, second in charge to Pharaoh. Lastly, a young boy named Lewis, when he was nine years old, working in his father's workshop, he said, Daddy, I want to be like you. His dad was a tanner, a leather tanner. And he said, Daddy, someday I want to do what you do. I want to be a harness maker and a tanner just like you. And the father said, why not start now? And he gave him a small pattern on a piece of leather and drew a design on it. And he said, son, now take the tools, the hole puncher and the hammer and follow the design, but be careful to not hit your hand. And if you're a parent, you know what happens next. He grabbed that hammer and that hole puncher and it flew out of his hand and went into his eye and caused him to go blind in that eye. Many years later, the sight in his other eye had failed. Lewis now was totally blind. And a few years later, Lewis was sitting in the family garden when a friend handed him a pine cone. Lewis, now completely blind, started to feel that pine cone and noticed that there were little tiny bumps on the edges. And his very sensitive fingers started to think about how those bumps could communicate a message. And he had an idea. Thus, when Lewis Braille was 15 years old, he invented a whole new world for the blind. It was a system of dots that allowed blind people to read. All the results of a horrible accident when he was just nine years old. Again, bad to good. Today, we're going to be reading a pretty well-known verse in the Bible. It's Romans 8, 28. Um, the verse basically says, God works all things together for good of those who love him. 
And it's really difficult to get your head around this when you're in the midst of something bad. But I want to give you a little bit of background to this verse before we push on. Uh, The author of the book of Romans is a guy named Paul. Paul has gone through his fair share of trials. He had near-death experiences. He had very bad beatings. He had several imprisonments and he was persecuted for his beliefs. Paul had said previously in Romans 8 verse 18 that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's basically saying life is short. And we see this echoed through the scriptures about life on earth, basically 80 to 100 years, if we're lucky, being compared with an eternity in the afterlife. It makes me think about our friends in the military who get shipped off for basic training. In fact, we have a couple of them at GVF that are either there or going there very soon. These new recruits are headed for a type of challenge that they know nothing about previously. Early morning push-ups till you puke. They do runs for 10 miles or more with 20 pounds on their backs. Someone's screaming at them as they have to change out a weapon and disassemble it and reassemble it. Bombs going off around them, swimming in the dark like they're being chased by a shark. Why? Why do these new recruits get pushed like that? They get pushed like that because their drill sergeant knows what's coming. Their drill sergeant knows that they need to be pushed beyond what they thought was normal, what they could handle to be able to survive. They basically work backwards from the battlefield to basic training. And they put the recruits through as much training as they need to survive. And that's the same ballpark that the Apostle Paul is in when he writes Romans 8, 28. But he's not alone. In James 1, 2, we saw the same sentiment. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I don't know if you're going through any troubles at the moment. I know I am, and I'm sure that most of you are. And I don't think that many of us consider it great joy. We don't come home and say, guess what, everybody? I lost my job. This is great. Your, your kids don't come home and say, mom, dad, you won't believe it. I've been bullied today. This is a great day. Let's light a candle. Because we often struggle with that sort of perspective in the moment. But Paul and James get it. God simply won't stay in the box of normal and predictable. That's not what he does. We are supposed to trust him. And it says the God, that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is complete, until it is finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Have you ever started a project and not completed it? I know I have. I'm currently working on sealing my driveway and that's about halfway done. I'm also got a, I've got a project going in the basement, making some storage seats. That's about halfway done. I'm in the process of turning my digital photos into real photos. That's also about halfway done. Budgeting, the list could go on, guys. I'm the king of starting projects and not finishing them. But God's not me or you. God's God. And God says he will finish what he's started. I've heard it preached before that what starts in grace will finish in glory. In Romans 8, 26, it says that we're not alone in our journey. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul's painting a picture here of what we're called to endure this life on earth. He's reminding us that we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit with us and he'll help us in our weaknesses. Romans 8, 28, here we go. And we know 
that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So the big question when you read Romans 8, 28, what is good? I know when I tell my kids to eat their green vegetables, they don't know that is good for them. I have to convince them and we have to bribe them to get them to eat their vegetables. But we as Americans, especially, we struggle with this concept of good and what it means in Romans 8, 28. Contrary to the American mindset, good is not health and wealth and our comfort. It's spiritual. It's good for our souls. Eternally, not temporally. But what if, let's just say you are super smart. You're like the combination of Dr. Robotnik and Elon Musk. You're so smart. You've done the math. What you're going through cannot be good. It is absolutely terrible beyond doubt. Well, God says something about that. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are beyond your ways. He's basically saying God's wisdom is above man's wisdom. And we see that throughout the scriptures, God reminding us, don't rely on human logic. Trust me, trust me. Just look at God's resume. He created everything from nothing. He used a leper to teach about love. He used a prostitute to show us about grace. And guys, he loves the old switcheroo. God loves to make us think or let us believe that things are out of control, but he's got a plan for that. And we saw that with Jesus. Obviously, we know that Jesus came to this earth, but the way that he finished his life was the ultimate 180, letting him be not believed, accused of being Satan himself, then mocked and beaten and killed only to set up what he was gonna do later which is rise from the grave. And you know what I bet? I bet that some of you are in that very situation right now. You're in the midst of a trial and you need Romans 8, 28. You need to know that God is using it for good. And if you're honest, those things normally refine and develop us and bring us closer to Jesus to help us to act more like him. One perfect example I can think of good coming from bad is compassion. Remember how the Bible says in Genesis that we are made in God's image? Well, compassion is one of those things that does not come about naturally. Human beings are selfish and greedy and we're born sinners. And when I think about compassion, I think it's something that God has. And we know that the psalmist says that God is full of compassion in Psalm 116 and 119 and elsewhere. God is compassionate towards human beings. Now, without situations that cause compassion, homelessness, acne, job loss, bullying, birth defects, things that we absolutely abhor. And please don't mishear me. I'm not promoting those or saying that they are good by human standards in any way, shape or form. What I'm suggesting is that they're real. They happen on this earth. And what it brings about in us is something that God has. It is compassion. If you've ever experienced compassion, I guarantee you it was not while looking at someone who is tall, dark, and handsome with a square jaw and an angelic voice. It's normally when we see people who life has just dealt a bad hand. I know I felt that way in Philadelphia recently. I saw someone very similar to who we're looking at here on the screen. Dirty hands, dirty feet, dirty face, bleeding from the mouth, 
homeless, hair disheveled, and something in my gut just said, I need to do something to help this person. There was a compassion that came out of me. In that way, Romans 8, 28 is referring to compassion. It's good that human beings grasp compassion because our heavenly father has compassion in him. And it's actually good that it hurts because God hurts for us when we are lost and when we're sinning and when we commit sin that hurts other human beings and sins against God. There is compassion. We saw it with Jesus when he had compassion on the lost and he had compassion on those who needed to love of Jesus. And the same goes for many other godly characteristics that we see as good. These are things we need to pick up. We need to earn. We need to get while we're here on earth. But they can only be understood in contrast to things that we deem as bad. Things like perseverance, true love, grace, and forgiveness. Why? Because unless we have perspective on those things, as in what life is like without those things, We fail to prioritize those things in the way that God does. Until our perspective is redeemed, we want to be comfortable more than we want to be conformed. That's human nature. If you're honest with yourself, we more often pray ourselves into places of comfort rather than than places of conformity to Jesus. I know that I'm guilty of that, praying that God would give me the job that I want, the spouse that I want, healthy kids, an income that's acceptable, clothes that look nice, cars that run, houses that don't leak. I don't want to be bullied on the streets or mocked because of my sermons. I want to be universally loved and accepted and have a good income and be able to take vacations. I'm praying for comfort, not to be conformed. Given the chance, most human beings... They pray for their comfort throughout the 90 years or so that they have on earth. They're praying for heaven on earth. Sometimes to the point of weeping, they will cry out to God saying, Lord, give me happiness. Give me family that loves me. Give me stability. And you know what it sounds like? Human beings praying for heaven on earth. And guys, it's not biblical. When we read the scriptures, we see Jesus going through something much different than heaven on earth. All the disciples going through something much different than heaven on earth. But if left to us, because we are greedy and selfish by nature, we pray for heaven on earth, hoping that we will die in our sleep with our family and friends all around singing kumbaya as we drift off into real eternal heaven. We want two heavens. And I want to caution you against that. A good friend of mine from Australia, he was actually the elder at the church we previously served at. He said something which I'll never forget. He said, nearly everything in life worth having is forged in its opposite. And what he meant by that is, if you'd like to have patience, normally it comes from exercising your patience muscle around people who drive you totally nuts. And then you get stronger in patience. If you'd like to have compassion, normally it comes from being around people who make you compassionate, meaning life has dealt them a bad hand. If you want to control your anger, normally you need circumstances that cause you to rise up your anger and you have to control your anger to get where you want to be. That is how life works. And we know that God causes everything to work together 
for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. And that is good. Really, this thing about God causing everything to work together for good, one of the reasons why it's often misquoted is we don't understand what good is. We want human good, and God's saying Jesus-type good. We're saying stuff, and God's saying spirit. If you look at it from God's perspective, he's going, guys, life on earth is short. I will cause this to work together for good, for my glory and your sanctification. But don't ever expect God to deliver material objects or health and wealth because he said he'd work it together for good. And I think if we can get that in our minds, there's no drop off when we're praying that God will work all things together for good from what's happening and what we are receiving. If we can see it as a blessing from the Lord, as the biblical authors did, we understand. So guys, as I close, I'm going to give you three things to remember about Romans 8, 28 that will help you understand what it's really all about. Number one, God's working. He used to bring, he has used bad things to bring about good circumstances over more times over the last 7,000 years than you have ridden a bike. And it is just as easy for God to use your circumstances, this world's circumstances, to make them good in heavenly terms. It requires none of his bandwidth. He's not stressing about your finances or about coronavirus or about anything else that's happening in this world right now. God is causing them to work together for good. Number two, God is going to finish what he started. You are not like my driveway. God will not start you and be able to and not be able to complete you. God is working on you and in you and through you. And we've got to understand that God is a finisher. God is working in you right now, even as I preach. And it's our trust that needs to be brought to him. So, he understand, so we understand that God is in control. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6, he who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And number three, lastly, God understands good. And this is the crux of my message today. Human beings, we often misunderstand this word good. We think good is about us, but good is really about God. God's goodness is so much higher than ours. It's sometimes hard to understand. We saw that in the book of Job, where Job cried out to the Lord, what is happening in my life? And God responded to him, were you there when I created the earth? Do you know how long it stretches? Do you know how heavy it is? Do you know where I store hail? And Job was like, uh, no. And God was making the point to Job and to each of us that we don't understand things at the same level that God does. So when we read Romans 8, 28, understand that God knows good better than we do. Let God work all things together for good. It's a task that only God can accomplish and our job is having faith that what he's doing is accomplishing that goal. Guys, have a great week this week. May God bless you. May your faith be increased by what you've heard in this sermon. I pray that you'd get closer to the Lord in your circumstances and you would lay down your understanding of good and pick up this refining process that you're going through along with Jesus. See ya.